About three weeks ago, I had a message on the journey, a journey to spiritual maturity. And I had three, three parts of that message. And I just got through the first part, which was how to deal thoroughly with sin. And so that, that's, I just stopped because time was up. But the next two parts are vital on a journey to spiritual maturity. Yes, you, you're not going to grow spiritually. And you're not going to become spiritually mature until you learn how to deal thoroughly with sin. You see, only sin can grieve the Holy Spirit. Trials, troubles, no. Only sin can grieve the Holy Spirit. Only sin can quench the Holy Spirit. Now, if our sins are confessed up to date, in other words, there's no known sin in our life, we're not faultless, but we're blameless because we've made everything right with God and where we needed to with man. If our sins are confessed up to date, then the Holy Spirit is not grieved and he is not quenched and he is free to flow in us and out of us like a river of living water. We need to live in 1 John 1, 7. And by the way, I'm, I'm skipping a whole bunch of stuff so the people that are doing stuff on the screen They'll find me in a little bit. But anyway, uh, we need to live in light of 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the way you deal thoroughly with sin is this. You walk in the light. And as you walk in the light, as the light exposes anything in your life, that is unholy, unrighteous, or sinful, and light exposes the darkness. As you walk in the light, as it exposes anything in your life that is sinful, you're quick to repent. Say, God, I agree with you, that's a sin, and I place it under the blood of Jesus, and if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, listen to this, the blood of Jesus Christ goes on cleansing us from all sin. So if you're going to grow up to be a mature follower of Jesus, you've got to learn how to deal thoroughly with sin. Then I want to go to the second part that I did not get to do about two or three weeks ago. And that is this. We have to deal thoroughly with sin. But number two, we have to live a life of absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. I like that word absolute because it means absolute. And I know what surrender means. It means unconditional surrender. So we have to live, if we're going to be, grow up to be spiritually mature, we have to live a life of absolute surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that it is when we understand how sinful we are and we understand who Jesus is and what he did for us. You come to Romans 10 9 and 10, it says, If you shall confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now get that. If you will confess with your mouth, not Jesus is Savior, He is. But if you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, Lord. Believe in your heart, not your head, your heart. I was talking to somebody the other day who, who he said, I got, the way I got saved, this man witnessed to me, and said, I was going to miss heaven by six inches. It was in my head, but it wasn't in my heart. You know, you can have it in your head, not in your heart. If you will confess your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, your heart, God has raised him from the dead. That's your innermost being. You shall be saved. And it goes on in the next verse with the heart. That's our mind. That's our emotions. That's our will. That's our being. That's who we are. Not that physical heart hurting, pumping blood. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, absolute surrender is this. You place your life under the complete control of, G of Jesus as Lord. Now, uh, you know how the early Christians used to identify themselves when they would pass on the streets? Because many of them were under constant persecution, could not get jobs because they 
of their faith. You see, everybody in Rome was saying, Caesar is Lord. But when two Christians would meet, the way they would identify each other, they would say, Jesus Kurios, Jesus is Lord. That's the way they greeted each other. Jesus is Lord. You know, and so this thing of absolute surrender means that you place, and this is a mouthful, but it's no shortcut to it. You've got to hear me. This thing of absolute surrender means that you place every area of your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, he is Lord. That means he is in charge. It means he is control. It means he is the master and you are the bond servant. In other words, your life is not your own. It is under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have surrendered your life completely to him as Lord. I remember uh, the first time I ever heard this message on the Lordship of Christ. And I feel sure somebody had said it before. But sometimes you have ears and you don't hear. And you have eyes and you do not understand. But then the Spirit of God in His grace and mercy opens your ears and open your eyes, and a truth maybe that you've heard before gets beyond your intellect and gets into your spirit. And the message I heard on the Lordship of Jesus Christ changed my life. And since that time, if I write you a letter, 99% of the time, you know how I sign it? Jesus is Lord. That, that's, that, that's my byline. That's my signature. Jesus is Lord. If you call my phone and I, I don't answer, and the answer machine comes, I close out my message by, and remember, Jesus Christ is Lord. Because that is the message of the Word of God. You see, the word Savior is mentioned 16 times in the New Testament. Wonderful. He is our Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. But oh, He is our Lord. And Lord is mentioned 200 times. 200 times in the New Testament alone, Jesus is identified as Lord. So today, I want us to come to grips with the fact of what it means for us to live in absolute surrender to the Lordship of Christ. When the time came uh, after I'd had two heart surgeries, to, uh, Mark White called and said he wanted to write my biography so it wasn't any question what the title of it was going to be. The title of my biography is Jesus is Lord. The Life and Legacy of Fred H. Wolf. It's one of the best books I've ever read. I really like this book. <laughs> I love it. And I want to tell you something. If you hadn't read it, you're backslidden. You need to read it. I, I mean, it just, I just bear my soul in it. And, and it'll be a blessing to you. Which I, we ran out of them, and I just had 50 more printed, and... And uh, I got them on sale for $14.99. But if you have to pay a penny for an autograph, it'll cost you $15. But anyway, <laughs> uh, this would be a good gift to give someone. All the ministry I get from all, any in, uh, profit I get on this, I'm going to put in my life for living ministry. I'm not going to put it in my personal ministry. I want to put it in there where I can use it to help others. But let me tell you this. When I first heard the Lordship of Christ, and it got into my spirit, I was, I've never been the same. Have I been perfect? No. Have I at times moved out from under his authority? Yes. But I can honestly say to you, it was in about, two th it was in about um, Lord, it was so long ago. It was about 1969 when the message that Jesus is Lord became a reality to me. And from, from that point to this point, I've always lived under the shadow, sometimes messing up, but living under the shadow of the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that I do not belong to myself, that I belong to Jesus. And that every believer, whether you know it or not, if there's been genuine repentance of your sins, and you have, in repentance, received Jesus Christ into your life 
as your Lord and Savior. When Jesus saves a person, he comes in not just as Savior, but he comes in as Lord. And so if you have genuinely repented of your sin and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, from that day on, you've been living under the Lordship of Christ, under his Lordship. You may not have always bowed your knee as you should, but he, from that point on, he is the Lord of your life. He is. And it's a matter then of us understanding wh- why and how to live under the Lordship of Christ. I-, I will say this to you. You will never mature spiritually until you know how to deal thoroughly with your sin. But you will never mature spiritually until you understand what it means to submit, absolutely surrender to Jesus as your Lord. So there are three truths about the Lordship of Christ that I want to share with you. They're all found in Romans 14, and we go back to verse 7. I'm, 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 I'm going to read all uh, about eight or nine verses. You, so just, just, all right, it's just what it says. This is quite an amazing statement. None of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself and it goes on in the next verse now get this if we live we live unto the Lord if we die we die to the Lord (laughs) therefore whether we live or die we are the Lord's then it goes on now, this is, this is a life-changing verse here. For to this end, it, it, it's saying here, for this reason, for this reason, Christ died. Why did he die? And rose. Why did he rise? And lived again. Why does he live? So why did he die, rose, and live? Now look at it. That he might be Lord of the dead and of the living. Man, there's so much in that verse, it just overwhelms me. Why did Jesus die? Why did he rise? Why does he live today? That he might be your Lord, that he might be my Lord, that he might be Lord of the dead and the living. And so those verses declare his Lordship. And I I wanna tell you three things about it. I wanna talk to you about the redemptiveness of his Lordship. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Then I want to talk about the realm. What is the realm of his lordship? And then last thing, what are the requirements of his lordship? First of all, we're going to look at verse uh, 9. For this reason Christ died. Stay with me now. He died to purchase you as Lord. And rose. He rose to pardon you as Lord. And lives... He lives to possess you as Lord. For this reason Christ died, rose, and lived again, that he might be Lord of the dead and the living. Now, he died to purchase you. You know, uh, somehow, a lot of religious people have missed the point that you just don't come to Jesus and ask him to save you and forgive you of your sin and take you to heaven. And say, now Jesus, I'll check in with you right before I die. That, that, that's not the way it is. When you come to Jesus in repentance and faith, from that moment on, from that moment on, you belong to Jesus. You do not belong to yourself. I mean, people need to know that. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm a Baptist or a Methodist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or, or whatever else. I'm glad, but wait a minute. But no, let's get beyond all that stuff. I want to ask you a question. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Is he in control of your life? You see, Jesus did not just die to get you to heaven He died to pay a price for your sin so that he could have the authority in your life. I love 1 Corinthians 6.19. It says, What? 
Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And whom you have from God. And, and look on now in this verse. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God. You're not your own. Now wait a minute. You're not your own. You're not your own. Well who am I? Who, who, who do I belong to then? You're not your own. You were bought with the price. Oh. You were purchased and paid for with the price. You were bought with the price. You're not your own. You were bought with the price. Therefore, since you were bought with the price, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to you. No. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Folks, listen. Everything changes when you realize that Jesus not only saved you from your sin. But he also purchased you with his blood. And from the moment you repented and were saved, that from that moment on, you do not belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus. And I am telling you, you don't have a right to yourself. You don't have a right to yourself. It is Jesus who has the right and the authority over your life. You say, well, I don't want to be under the control of anybody. Well, if you saved, I want you to know that Jesus is your Lord and you belong to him and you should be living under his control. If the church ever realized that if every Christian ever realized that they belong to Jesus and their first priority was to please him, friend, it would revolutionize Christianity in this country. Well, I'm a good church member. I go to church. I no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are, are you living under the Lordship of Christ? And is he your master? And are you his bond slave? So he died to purchase you as Lord. And by the way, what did he purchase you with? His own blood. Man, look at this verse over in 1 Peter where it talks about what he purchased us with. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed, that word redeemed means to be to purchase, to pay the price for, to ransom. Knowing you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. But how did it, so God didn't purchase, Jesus didn't purchase you with silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers. But you were redeemed, purchased, paid for, bought with the precious blood of of Christ every drop of blood that fell from the crown thorn crowned bare brow of the son of God every drop of blood that gushed from his side when the soldier pushed the spear in every drop of blood that came from the stripes upon his back that brought him almost to the point of death you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. But you were purchased, paid for, bought with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and blemish. So he died to purchase you as Lord. I want you to look again at verse 9. He not only died to purchase you as Lord, he rose to pardon you as Lord. Listen to what it says. For this reason Christ died to purchase you. But look, and rose, you know, he rose to pardon you. Oh, yeah. You know, the Bible says in Romans that we're saved by his life. The Bible talks about us being justified uh, uh, by his blood. In Romans 4.25, I want you to notice what it says about how our justification, being declared just, that means not guilty, offense is gone. He was delivered up because of our offenses, wait a minute now, and was raised. He rose to pardon you. He was raised for our justification. And so we can be declared just before God because the Lord Jesus Christ rose and by his ro rising, his pardon, we were justified. We were saved not only by his precious blood, but by his life. You know, Forgiveness is one of the most is the greatest one of the greatest things in this world. To be pardoned. You really want to get depressed. You really want to get discouraged. You want to live in a pit. Just go back and remember 
all the times you didn't listen to God, all the times you made wrong choices, all the sins you committed, all the awful things you said, and all the harmful things you did. I tell you what, that, that, that'll, that'll dig a pit so deep you can't breathe. But God told us not to do that. He said, I want you to forget those things that are behind and reach forth. He said, listen, you don't have to go live there anymore because my blood washed every one of those sins away. It washed every one of them away. God does not remember all those wicked things you did. He did not, he, he's not holding you accountable for all those wicked things you did before you were saved. When you got saved, he washed your slate clean. Hallelujah. He washed your slate clean and said, you are forgiven and I have forgotten it and I'm not going to remind you of it. Now, if somebody reminds you of it, who is it? It's not God, it's the devil. But you know, the problem is this. You ask anybody today, would you like to be forgiven? And if they got any sense at all, and any awareness, they'd say, man, boy, I know I need to be forgiven. I know I need to be forgiven. But, you know what I found? People want what Jesus gives. They want forgiveness. But they don't want who Jesus is. They don't want him to be Lord of their life. Folks, listen. Jesus doesn't just forgive your sin. When he does that, he takes the authority in your life. And he is Lord. You don't have what Jesus gives without having who Jesus is. And with his forgiveness comes his right to be your Lord. And so th th this is the, the redemptiveness of it. He died to purchase you. He did as Lord. But listen, he rose to pardon you as Lord, to wash every one of your sins away. But then he lives to possess you as Lord. Look at what that verse says in verse 9. For this reason Christ died to purchase you, rose to pardon you, and lives to possess you that he might be Lord of the dead and the living. Did you know Jesus lives to possess you? He lives to live his life in you? I didn't know anything about that. I knew nothing about that. I, I heard very little about it. And, and I don't know why. I, I just did not have ears to hear. But I'm, <clears throat> but I'm telling you, the fact that Jesus lives to live his life in us by the Holy Spirit changes everything. Everything. <clears throat> I got some water over here. I'm going to go get it. You know, when we realize that he lives to possess us, it changes the way we see our lives. Let me tell you why. Most people say, well, I'm really excited about Jesus uh, down here. He came, born of a virgin, lived to sin this life. Man, I'm excited about all the miracles. I, I'm really thrilled about Jesus and his life on earth. That's good. And you know, I'm, all, I'm really excited about what Jesus did back there. Boy, how he died on the cross in my place and my sins were placed on him. Man, I, I, I'm really excited about Jesus here, his sinless life, his miracles. I, I'm really excited about Jesus back there when he died on the cross in my place. And I'll tell you another thing. Man, I'm really excited about Jesus up there. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And every principality and power is under his feet. I'm really excited about Jesus up there. But i tell you something. I've moved beyond that. I'm excited about Jesus down here. And I'm excited about Jesus back there. And I'm excited about Jesus up there. But you know what makes me want to shout? It's Jesus in here. Is Christ lives in me. Wow. <laughs> Christ in you. The hope of glory. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I. But get this. Christ lives in me. Once you're saved. Christ never leaves you. Nor forsakes you. The son of God. Has come to live inside of you. In the person of of the Holy Spirit. Now see that changes everything for a Christian. 
Well, I think I'll go over here and nobody will know with it. The problem is you're taking Jesus with you. You think Jesus feels comfortable sitting at the bar while you're drinking? You think Jesus feels comfortable while you're watching something that's filthy with your eyes? You've got to understand, if you're a child of God, you're never separated from Jesus. He's come to live in you. And that's why you can't sin and enjoy it. Have you ever noticed that before? I said, God, why didn't you fix me so I couldn't sin? He said, I didn't have to. I fixed you so you couldn't sin and enjoy it. You say, well, I enjoy sin. You better get saved pretty quick now, I'm telling you. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but soon that season is over, it's over, it's over. And if you're a child of God, the the hand of God comes upon you in conviction, and you know, oh, my God, I've got to get right with God. He died to purchase you. He's Lord. He rose to pardon you. He's Lord. But he lives to possess you. He is Lord. He lives to live his life in you. Now here's the second thing. That's the, that's the uh, redemptiveness of the Lord, his lordship. But I want, this is really, uh, man, when I first saw this truth, it blew me away. The realm of his lordship. Now, now look at verse 7 for, of Romans 14. None of us lives to himself. Well, it's my life. I'm going to live it the way I want to live it. I mean, it's just me. Don't you understand? I'm independent. I can do what I want to do. Yeah, you can. But you're not living to yourself. I want you to understand. None of us lives to himself. But get this. No one dies to himself. Oh. Death is not the end. The grave is not a closed deal. None of us lives to himself. And no one dies to himself. Now, he makes it real personal. Whether we live, we live to the Lord. Whether we die, we die to the Lord. Well, wait a minute. That covers it all. If I live, I live to the Lord. If I die, I die to the Lord. Therefore, whether I live or die, We are the Lord's. My heavens. That covers the whole thing. Now, you know, what what does that mean? If we live, we live unto the Lord. If we die, we die unto the Lord. What what does that that mean? It means simply this. And this is so important. You're responsible to Jesus as Lord of your life. If I live, I live unto unto the Lord. I am responsible to Jesus as Lord of my life. If I die, I die unto the Lord. Oh, I'm accountable to Jesus as Lord in death. So, responsible to Jesus as Lord in my life, but accountable to Jesus when I die. You know, here's a good thing. When when you're truly saved and Christ comes to live in you, you realize that you're not living for yourself anymore. That you're living for the Lord. You're living for Him. And there's this one verse that, let let me tell you what people want to do. They want to to, uh, compartmentalize their life. Well, now, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. That means a lot of things to many people, but some of it doesn't mean the right thing. So I, I'll tell you about my life. I've got my, I've got my job life. I've got my career. I've got my work life. Well, and then I've got my home life. I've got my home life. And then I've got my social life. I've got my social life. And then I've got my recreational life. And then I've got my church life. Can I ask you a question? Show me that verse in the Bible. You compartmentalize your life. No, you don't understand that my secular life, my secular life is my work. My secular life is, is in my home. My secular life is my social life. My secular life is, is my recreational life and all that kind of stuff. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not anywhere in the Bible. That's nowhere in the Bible. For a child of God, 
There is no such thing as a secular life. For a child of God, your entire life is sacred. It is sacred. And your entire life is set apart to God. And God is, should be right in the center of your work life. And right in the center of your home life. And Jesus ought to be right in the center of your social life. And right in the center of your recreational life. You see, there's no such thing as secular and sacred for a child of God. For a Christian, his entire life is sacred. It is set apart to God. And stop compartmentalizing your life. Don't let it be, well, I've done my responsible. I took care of my church life today. I went to church. Is that it? You know, I want to tell you something. There's not one thing in your life, if you're saved, that Jesus is not involved in. And there's not one thing in your life, if you're saved, that Jesus does not want control of. Oh, yeah, he wants control of it. Now, let me show you what I mean. Now, you can't get away from this verse. You can try to rationalize it, but I'm just going to read it to you. And then you've you got to deal with it. Here it is. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Would you remember this verse? Would you write it down, underline it in your Bible? Would you put it on a, one of them little sticky pads and put it on the door of the refrigerator or anywhere, some, you know, like where you brush your teeth? Just put it up there to remind you. It's Colossians chapter 1, chapter 3. It's chapter 3, excuse me, I told you the wrong one. Chapter 3, verse 16. Now look at what it says, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Be full of the scripture. Be full of the word of God. That's there for a reason. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another. In psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing in, with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's what we did earlier. Now I want to ask you, does this mean what it says? Is this, does this really mean what it says? Whatever you do, at work, at home, in your social life, in your recreational life, whatever you do, look up the word whatever. Anybody know what it means? Whatever. Boy, y'all are brilliant theologians in that. Whatever. Whatever, Lord, let me exclude some things. No, no, no. Uh -uh, uh -uh. Whatever you do in word. Oh, one of the hardest things in the world is to zip our lip. I'll tell you right now. Oh, Lord, I, I, we have to pray this all the time. Lord, set a watch to my mouth, my God, and keep the door of my lips. More people sin by, with their tongue than any other way, I'm telling you. And says, whatever you do in words, you better be careful what you say with your words. Whatever you do in word or in deed, whatever you actually do, whether you say it or do it, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And give thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I, I want you just to put the magnifying glass on your life. Everything that you do, whether it's your social life or your home life or your recreational life or whatever, you know, everything, there's no such thing as that. I want to ask you a question. Everything you do, can you do it in the name of Jesus? Can you sign Jesus' name to it? And can you give God glory for it? Let me just say this. Probably everybody in this room there are some things that you know. I'd have trouble signing Jesus' name to that. That critical tongue of mine where I criticized people. I don't think I can sign Jesus' name to that. And those sinful thoughts that I allowed to come and, and take lodging in my mind. I don't think I can sign Jesus' name to that. And that, that program I watched where they were taking God's name in vain. And, and I, I, don't, I don't think... I can sign Jesus' name to that. And, and you know, that, that, 
that crowd around the uh, water cooler. We don't have water coolers no more, but whatever that, that crowd is, they were telling those dirty jokes. You know, I don't think I can sign Jesus when I laughed at those filthy jokes. I don't think I can sign Jesus' name to that. You can't. You can't do that. So whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it in Jesus' name and thank God for it. Boy, that, that'll, that'll be a great safeguard for you. Whatever you're tempted to do, it may be wonderful and good, and you can do it in Jesus' name, and you can thank God for it. Hallelujah. Go ahead. Go right on. You can thank, put, do it in Jesus' name and thank God for it. Go for it. Go for it. But I'm telling you right now, if there's a check in your spirit, and if the Holy Spirit is warning you, and you can't sign Jesus' name to it, and you can't thank God for it, you better not do it. You say, well, Brother Fred, that's legalism. Legalism? I ain't legalism. My goodness. It's just what the Bible says. That's all it is. Well, man, that's awful narrow. I'm going to tell you something. The Christian life is narrow. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we don't live like the world. You, you know, you're, account, you're responsible to Jesus as Lord of life. Can you sign Jesus' name to it? And can you thank God for it? I've had hundreds and hundreds of people come to me with questionable things in their life. Questionable things in their life. And they knew it was wrong when they were coming to me, but they were hoping that I would say it was all right. You understand? They already knew. And so they came to, Brother Fred, I've been struggling with this. And so-and-so says that, was a, that our culture's changed. And since our culture's changed, it's different. So it's all right to do that now. And I said, well, let me just ask you this. So you think, well, if you do it, can you sign Jesus' name to it? And can you thank God for it? It got awful quiet. And they said, well, I sure enjoyed the visit. And I'll see you in church. I have to apply that test to my life. Can I, do, can I sign Jesus' name to it? I tell you, Jesus always wants what's best for you. And can I thank God for it? See, he died to purchase you as Lord. He rose to pardon you as Lord. He lives to possess you as Lord. But you're responsible to Jesus as Lord of life. And, it, and there's another verse in Colossians. I want you to look what it says. And I believe this with all my heart. And this can be at work or anywhere. It says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not to men. Let me say something. When you go to work, you know what you're doing? You, you want to you obey uh, what you're supposed to do. You want to please the boss. You want to do a good job. But you're not doing that for men. Listen, you go to work and you're doing it heartily to the Lord and not to men. You serve the Lord Christ. What you do at work is just as important as what you do at church because you've got to do it heartily to the Lord and not to men. The best employee any person ought to have ought to be a child of God. I remember when I was in, in school and we had a Christmas break and uh, I had a job at J.C. Penney's and I sold men's shirts. I think I must have been 16 then. I don't remember. But boy, I tell you what, I mean, you know, I, I, you, you get bored because not everybody's buying shirts all the time. So you straighten them and then you re- unstraighten them, then you straighten them back again. And you know, but I tell you one thing, when Mr. White, the boss, was watching, I was a hard worker. Oh man, I was going out trying to recruit people to buy shirts. Because you know, I wanted to please him. And that's Okay. But I tell you what, it's far more important that you please him. And what you do at work, you need to do it heartily to the Lord and, 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 and not to men. For of the Lord you receive your inheritance. Well, here's the second thing about the realm of his lordship. I am not going to finish this. I'm going I'm to I'm do this and then I'm gonna, we're going to pray. We're accountable, we're responsible to Jesus as Lord of life. We're accountable to Jesus as Lord in death. There are two judgments, y'all. Two judgments. It is appointed to man once to die, and after that, the funeral. No, that is not what it says. 
It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the what? Judgment. Who will bring all men into account. So then each one of us, in Romans 14, it says, will give an account of ourselves to God. Now, the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. It's an awesome and an awful sight. I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose face it's so awesome and holy from whose face heaven and earth fled away. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were open and men were judged uh, and the books were open and another book was open which is the book of life and the deeds were judged according and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. And then the, the, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. The death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And everyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The great white throne judgment is the judgment of the lost. And men are judged for their sins. They're judged for their sins. You say, God has to be omniscient, all-knowing. He has to be all-powerful, yeah, but he can just judge the whole world, every lost person. He says, let me show you what was written in the book. You have to pay for that. You're accountable for that. And there's a lake of fire. And your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life. And so you're cast into the lake of fire. That's the judgment of the lost. It is where people give account for their sins. They died without Christ. They never went to the cross. They never received his precious blood. They never became a new creation in Christ. They lived their lives and died without Jesus Christ. And so they go before the great white throne judgment. Then there's the other one. That's the judgment seat of Christ. And in Romans 14, it even mentions that. It tells we're not supposed to judge our brother. Christian, look at what it says. Do not judge your brother. Why do you show contempt for your brother? We shall all stand. Let's talk about brothers now. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne judgment. The judgment seat of Christ. Where we are not judged for our sin, for they're under the blood of Jesus, forever gotten and forever gone, but we're judged for our work. As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Here it is. You're born, tw you're born twice. Let's see. No, you're born twice. You're born physically and you're born again. You're born twice, and you can die twice. You can die physically, but then you can be a part of the second death, which is the judgment in hell, okay? But um, a Christian, from the day he gets saved till the day he goes to be with Jesus, his, his, his sins are under the blood of Christ. When he does something that is sinful, he agrees with God that it's a sin immediately, repents. He, he's not running to sin, he's running from it. He's not controlled by the old man, he's walking in the new man, but he still messes up sometimes. So everything between the day he was saved and the day he died goes to be with the Lord. It's called his work. It is not works, it's called his works. Everything he does from the day he's saved to the day he goes to be with the Lord. And it's in, Col in, in Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I, I, we'll just read these scriptures to you. Um, that, that's, that's 2 Corinthians you got there. I think it's 1 Corinthians. I know it is. Just wait a minute. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, 3. 1 Corinthians 3. 9 through 15. You've got to take a minute and look at this. Okay. Now, is this, I want to ask you a question. Is this Christians? Now, am I reading, is this what I'm reading about? Is it believers? 
I want you to, to, to make that decision in your own heart. We are fellow workers, for we are God's fellow workers. We're God's field. We're God's building. Okay? All right, we're fellow workers. We're God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, Paul says, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I've laid a foundation. I've laid a foundation. And another builds on it. But every one of you better be careful how you build on it. Paul said, now, we're fellow workers. We're God's field. We're God's building. He said, but I want you to know, as a wise master builder, I've laid a foundation. And all of us are building, who are saved, are building on that foundation. But be careful how you build. And then he goes on and says in the next verse. Now, what's the foundation? Other foundation can no one lay than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. All right? So, the foundation is Jesus Christ. We, once we get saved, we're building on that foundation. We're building on it. The day you got saved, you started building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Till you go to heaven, you're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But be careful how you build. Now, look what we can build with. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, pretty good. That's good material. Silver, that's pretty good building material. Precious stones, diamonds. Wow. All right, but then he says, if anyone builds on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and trash, or straw. So here we are, we're saved, and we're building on the foundation of Jesus. Some are building with gold, silver, and precious stones. Others are building with wood, hay, and straw. Did you know that they're all going to be te- that's going to be tested? That that's going to be tested? Did you know that? All right, look what it says. Each one's work will become clear. The day will declare it. It will be revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. All right, from the day I got saved to this moment I'm standing here right now, I've been building on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have either been building with gold, silver, and precious stones, or building with wood, hay, and stubble. Sometimes it might have been mixed. But everyone's work will be made manifest. Uh, And if anyone's work which he has built on it, he will receive a reward. Go on, it says, If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so is by fire. So here we are standing before Jesus, no kneeling before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus looks at our work. He looks at our work. And he says, well, you built with gold. And so the fire here is the fiery eyes of Jesus. Like flame of fire in Revelation 1. The eyes of Jesus look upon that gold and he says, all it does is purify it. Well done. And the flaming eyes of Jesus look upon that silver, and it purifies it. It smelts it. It purifies it. It stands the test of the fire. And he says, well done. And it shines on that diamond, and it, and it just hardens it and confirms it and makes it that much more precious. So here is a person whose life has been presented. He's stood in the judgment seat of Christ, and he hasn't been perfect, but he has been, he has been laboring with his life has been that of gold. It stands the test of fire. Silver stands the test of fire. Precious stones, it stands the test of fire. But here's the other. Uh, there's wood. The fire looks at that wood, goes up in smoke. Hay, Ooh. goes up in smoke. Straw or stubble, goes up in smoke. It burns up. It's consumed. And all that's left is ashes. Ashes. You say, well, he lost his salvation. Oh, no, no. This is believers. He hadn't lost his salvation. He's lost his rewards. Look at what it says here. But he himself, it says, but he himself shall be, his work will be burned up. He will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Yet so as by fire. Now, I'm going to wind this up with this illustration of how it works. You know what gold is and silver is and precious stones is? I I believe this is right. I've tested it and tested it and tested it. I believe it's right. 
Everything you do under the Lordship of Christ. Everything you do in the power of the Holy Spirit. And everything you do for the glory of God. I don't care if it's working in the nursery, sweeping out the thing. It's being a good employee at work. It's being a godly wife or mother. What, it doesn't matter what it is. It's your work. But I'm telling you, as by the grace of God, Jesus is in control of your life. And you're depending on the Holy Spirit to work through you. And you're doing everything you do for the glory of God. I'm telling you, it's gold, silver, and precious stones. It will stand the test of the fiery eyes of Jesus. And it will not be burned up. And you will receive your reward. But what about hay and straw and wood, hay and straw? Everything you do under the control of your flesh. Everything you do in the power of the flesh. And everything you do for the praise of men. In other words, if you do it under self-control and you do it in the energy of the flesh and you do it for the glory of men, it'll all be burned up. And all you'll have left is burnt ashes to place in the hand of the Savior. Now, here's what I found about my own life. At times I'm laboring under the Spirit's Feel the Lordship of Christ, be over the Spirit for God's glory. But you know, there have been times that I got out from under that. And I'm honest with you, I, I, I built with some wood. And I built with some straw. And I built with some stubble. And guess what? That's all going to be burned up. It'll be burned up. Maybe that's when the tear will run down my eye and the Lord will have to wipe it away. But I do know one thing. This idea that you get saved and you never give an account for the way you live your Christian life is totally unbiblical. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So let me encourage you. Every day, crown him Lord of your life. Every day, ask the Holy Spirit to direct you and to empower you. And every day, you say, God, everything I do today, I want to do for your glory and for your honor. And for your praise, let everything I do give you glory. Man, that's the way to live. And that will be well-pleasing to the Lord. And this, remember that if we used wood, hay, or straw, we repent. But that, that's just going to be burned up. It's not going to. It's not going to last. Um, you're never going to grow up spiritually until you know how to deal thoroughly with your sin. And until you surrender unconditionally and live under the Lordship of Christ. There's no other way. There's no other way. You can play the game. You can say, I don't, why don't I have abundant life? Why am I always messed up? Why am I spiritual yo-yo? You know, I'm telling you, it's not, you ain't got to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. If you've dealt thoroughly with sin, your sins are confessed. And Jesus is in absolute control of your life. And you're letting him be the, the, in charge. I'm telling you, you're going to have an abundant life. Are you going to have trials? Yeah. You're going to have heartaches? Yeah. Will you trip up and fall sometimes? Yeah. But the pattern of your life will be that you walk in blameless and the Holy Spirit's filling you.